Alrighty, welcome to episode three of the Film Illiterates podcast. Uh, today I'm here, Joe from FilmIlliterates.com, and I'm joined with, uh, as always, Nate Stone. Hey guys, how's it going? And Alex Patton. Hey everyone. Hey Alex, how you doing? Doing well. How are you, Joe? I'm doing terrible. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Why don't you tell us about it, Joe? I, I I would love to tell you all about it, but that would take a whole other podcast to get into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll save Joe's so, therapy session for later, for another episode. <laughs> so uh, uh, today, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful weekday on whatever day that this came out. We're recording this on Tuesday, May 24th. Uh, hey, guys, The Nice Guys came out last week. Did you all get to go see it? Yeah. That, that, to be honest, it was a, it was a fun movie. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, to about, be honest, I, I really do like Shane Black's writing, and, you know, this is just some of his good stuff, what he's good at. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. How about you, Alex? Did you go to, did you get to go see it? Haven't had the chance to yet, but, um, I mean, definitely looking forward to it, though. It looks mm-hmm. pretty great. Yeah. Well, in, um, in celebration of Shane Black's return to the Buddy Cop film, we decided to make today's conversation about... Buddy Cop films. We'll be talking about kind of the evolution of Buddy Cop movies, how they've changed since they became mainstream, and where we get today's modern conception of the Buddy Cop movie. But before we get to that, uh, we're going to have a little conversation about what we've watched recently, because we're cinephiles, and we can't stop, and we have problems. Yes, we do. Um, (laughs) So like I said, we still have our uh, charity fund, so if you guys please donate, um, we can help Joe get through this together. that's why we have this buddy system, you know. Or, or just take away all my movies because that way I won't have a, a way, a way of watching anything, and maybe yeah. my problem will stop. So, so you, somebody you hacked. Can just give them to me. You can just give yeah. them to me. I'll, I'll take, I'll take them off your hands, man. Like no worries. Yeah, and somebody please hack into Joe's uh, Netflix account so that way he can't watch anymore. <laughs> anyway, with that, uh, let's go to you, Alex. What have, what have you watched recently? And tell us why. Uh, well, I actually finally got around to um, finally got around to watching Deadpool. Uh, finally, I I, yeah, finally, I know. Well, I missed it in theaters, and then for like the seemed like for like the longest time, you could only buy it online, couldn't like rent it or anything like that. But anyway, finally got around to it. I really loved it. It was <laughs> it was it was what I was hoping it would be. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, it, it's 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 my kind of superhero movie. I'm not big into many of the Marvel movies and whatnot, you know, all the Avengers and the separate superhero films and, and all, uh, those have been always, I've always thought them to be okay. There are moments where they're a little bit better, than, you know, other moments in the, in the series, but to be honest, they've they're not, been, not been my favorite uh, films. But uh, Deadpool was one that I, I really enjoyed, just because it was so blatantly different than Rest of the Marvel films, and, and I, I think that worked incredibly well for it. Yeah, I love Deadpool. I actually saw it twice in theaters, and both times I saw it at a movie theater that served alcohol as well. So that was the <laughs> the, the prime. <laughs> it's the ultimate experience. Yeah, to, to watch to watch Deadpool in, yeah, and it's exactly. fantastic. The, the 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 best review I can give for the movie is that it's the 21 Jump Street of superhero movies. I I absolutely love Deadpool. 
Yeah, I'll have to kind of yeah. like, I know it's already too early to kind of say best movies of 2016 already, but so far it's probably kind of, it's getting close to my number one. To be honest, I've never had such a great experience so far with seeing a movie like that. As of I mean, right now, as of right now, it's 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 number number two or number three on my list right now. Mm-hmm. But we'll see we'll see how that is when we get more into the Oscar movies later on this year. Yeah, that's true. We we still have a yeah, whole half of a year. Yeah. Um, so besides Deadpool, which I think is one of the most entertaining films I've seen in a long while, um, I did I did rewatch again. Just uh, it's one of my favorite movies by now. But it's uh, I watched rewatched. It's such a beautiful day. I've never fantastic. The narration. Go ahead. Uh, I've never heard of this movie. Can you give a brief uh, synopsis about it? To give a brief synopsis about this movie, it's kind of kind of hard to do. Well, the animation isn't like anything you'd see in like Pixar or DreamWorks, or whatever. It's all just like hand drawn, like stick figures and whatnot. Um, but it's the movie. Well, it's, about... it's a Don Hertzfeld movie. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, he, I mean, he also did recently The World of Tomorrow, yeah. which I thought was great as well, but. Um, mm-hmm. This is this movie's a little bit longer, uh, I think, and, and I think it's better. But um, okay. yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites. Man. I I actually I actually like the World of Tomorrow better than It's Such a Beautiful Day, but both of them are definitely worth checking out. Uh, Don Hirschfeld has a wonderful animation style and kind of a cynical, deliciously, the deliciously cynical view of the world, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, to be honest, yeah. he also he also was uh, responsible for the recent uh, Pop Tarts ads. You know that was his pen in that. Oh, I didn't know that. He yeah. Doesn't me though. Oh. Mm-hmm. So Nathan, what have you watched lately? Um. So yeah, recently. Um. Kind of like uh in preparation. Uh, let's see. For this, I kind of have watched uh, a, a quite a few uh buddy cop films. Uh, some of them include Forty Eight Hours, Lethal Weapon, but uh. Most recently, the one I really um, enjoyed uh, was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I revisited that one. That was another Shane Black uh, film. And actually, it, what I really love about this one is that it's kind of like the the comeback movie for Robert Downey Jr. before he became Tony Stark. And I keep forgetting just how great he is in that movie and just how great the writing is as well. I mean, every scene of it, I'm kind of laughing my ass off just because it's Shane Black just you know, writing these great characters and you're just finding it very entertaining all the way through. Um, another movie I saw was also Iron Man 3. Also, Which also starred Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, and yeah. written and directed by Shane Black. Now, a lot of people give this movie a lot of flack because of how a lot of fanboys say this movie botched up, you know, the Mandarin, um, you know, fandom in the, these, uh, sorry, Marvel comics. But to be honest, I still think Shane Black did something really cool with it. He kind of just made it his own thing, and I could tell the actors were having fun while they're doing it. And to be honest, I, I still love it. It's a fun movie. Regardless of what all those Marvel diehard you know, fans say, um, it's it's still a movie like it makes me laugh. We could certainly make a whole episode just based on <laughs> Iron Man 3 and our opinions of Iron Man 3 because oh, that, yeah. that, that whole Mandarin <laughs> thing... I, I think that for the character and how he's used in the comics, now not having read the comics, I can't speak to this as as well, but 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 for for the character it might not have been the best choice, but as a movie plot point, I felt like it was brilliant and I felt like it was the best use of Ben Kingsley I've seen in a really long time. Yeah. So I really appreciated it, even if it did give way to kind of a, a a little bit more of a lackluster third act, I think as a storytelling 
arc. It, it, it worked a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for, but that's, that's, that's just one man's opinion. Yeah, I mean, one thing that Shane Black's always been really a master of, I think, is just uh, a kind of playing off of people's expectations of the genre. And regardless if it's a buddy cop film, a detective, or a crime movie, or even a superhero movie, he, he knows how to play with that. Um, but other than that, the other film I saw that I kind of actually... I'm surprised I waited this long to see it, was the Steve Jobs movie that came out last year with uh, Michael Fassbender, uh, Kate Winslet. Uh, it was the one that was um, written by Aaron Sorkin, who is known for doing The Social Network. And uh, to be honest, I thought, I was thought it was very intriguing. Um, what made this different compared to like other biopics is that it's not really a biopic. It's almost, it feels like it's a play on uh, the screen because it's broken up into three points in the you know Steve Jobs life um, three moments yeah. of when he kind of like had a release of a new computer um, it takes place in 1984 1988 and 1998 <laughs> but it all takes place uh, backstage it's not it never is actually focused on the actual um, release launch and him presenting on stage. It's all about what happens behind the scenes. And I thought it was actually done very well. I mean, I thought, I mean, it's not probably the best movie out there, but it was definitely unique. I still haven't seen the Steve Jobs movie, but I've heard, especially from Nick, who is a, 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 a contributor to the Film Literacy website, that it's a very good movie and I need to check it out. So I'll, I'll probably end up seeing it with with, with both his, his review and your review now. I'll probably have to get around to that someday. Yeah. Yeah, Nick, Nick and I actually, we, we both saw it together um, when it came out in theaters a while back. Um, but I, but I, can, I, I was kind of blown away by how, how much I liked it and how, how good it was. Mm-hmm. The movie is just, it, like like Nick was saying, it's just the three scenes. There are a little bit of flashbacks in between, but like mm-hmm. other than that, there's not really much else. And the fact that it builds so much, like so much tension, so much passion in, into those three scenes that span the entire movie, I think that's just incredible. The, mm-hmm. uh, the performances, of course, was what stand out the most. I mean, Fast Banner is incredible as Jobs, and then um, I, I really like Seth Rogen as well as the mm-hmm. actor. I think yeah, he's incredible, and especially when they get into like a like that shouting match that they had near the end. That mm-hmm. was that was great, great yeah. movie. And kind of thinking actually on this uh, movie, you know, as a script, um, it's it's you know it's Aaron Sorkin. It's going to be penned wonderfully, but it is really just yes. you know these people just like having dialogue sessions with each other. But I think Danny Boyle, who's the director mm-hmm. of this, he's known for doing Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours. He just brings this very interesting visual component to the whole thing. And I think without that this movie just wouldn't have been what it was. And so that was cool as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's got a perfect matchup. It's got, you know, incredibly well-written script. Very, it's like incredibly well-directed. And then, like I said, performances are off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, get around to seeing that. (laughs) Yeah, I will. I will, definitely. So then to round that out, I, I've watched a few movies lately other than the ones we're going to be talking about later on. Um, I've been working through the, the works, the books of Edgar Rice Burroughs, and if you don't know who that is, that is the author of the John Carter of Mars series, which I've been watching or reading recently, and the Tarzan book series. He's the guy who created them. So I recently read the very first Tarzan book, Tarzan of the Apes, and then I rewatched the Disney Tarzan movie, <laughs> <laughs> which, which the first time I watched that, I actually didn't, 
I didn't grow up with that one. That's one I didn't watch till I was in college, and I I, I enjoyed it and all. But, yeah. but but watching that after reading the book, I felt like <laughs> Disney did a really good job of adapting the book for kids because the book is not a very kid friendly book. There's Tarzan smashing ape heads in and breaking bones everywhere, and people are that's, dying. And there's well, that's, there's that's, that's family appropriate, you know. That's <laughs> there is there is a lot because the book was written in the early 1900s. There's a lot of casual racism going on, <laughs> which they wisely decided to keep out of the movie. But I, I, as, as 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 just kind of an adaptation, it, I, I think it works. I think it works really well. I I, I do think it's interesting. Um, I guess spoiler alert for the book: <laughs> if you guys haven't read the book from the early 1900s. Tarzan does not get together with Jane at the end of the book, which really surprised me considering that that's kind of the, the stereotype of one of the great couples of literature and movie history is of Tarzan and Jane. Whether or not they do in the sequel books, I don't know yet, but it was just kind of interesting watching the movie and it's their, their, their whole romance going on. And I read the book and it's just kind of a, a, a very sober ending, not really a downer ending, but it's a, it's a, it's a much more mature ending, which is kind of interesting. So, there was that. And it, Disney Tarzan is, is, is fun. It's fun and fine. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. And then the other film, uh, recently I, I actually picked up a copy of the original Star Wars, Episode Four, and I picked up a copy of The Empire Strikes Back, because I saw them both at a used bookstore, and it was the limited edition that included the theatrical release of the films. So I decided, ah, why not? I don't have a theatrical edition, so that'll be fun. And I, I rewatched them both. And watching it knowing that there is none of the added effects in or any of the other crap that George Lucas shoved in, in the, from the, the mid-90s on, one of the most interesting things I found was how heavily inspired the the designs of everything was to the 70s and the 80s. I mean, obviously, they're products of the 70s and the 80s. Mm -hmm. But every set, every creature, every costume, every robot looks like it could come straight off of the the cover of a 70s pulp sci-fi novel. Like, I feel like I've walked through bookstores and just seen, oh, you know, you can take, you can take this, this screenshot right here and just put it on some, some novel where the, the author's name is bigger than the title. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just very, very cool to watch, and I never really noticed that before, just how ingrained in those two decades those films really are, just aside from being great pieces of, of fiction and great pieces of art, they're just really, really well done sci-fi fantasies that you don't see creative, fan fantastic designs like that anymore, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, and interesting you point that out. I mean, even though the movie was made, you know, in the 70s, uh, it's still, like, to this day, a, a hallmark in just, like, any kind of, like, sci-fi. Like, it's something that, even today, it's not dated. It, it still doesn't feel dated. It's still something relevant and still present in our culture today. And I think, yeah. for some reason, that's not just copying a, a time period. It's something that's it was thinking way before its time. And I think yeah. that's what's so fantastic about the, just the movies as well, is that it was way before anything that was being done at the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's cer certainly heavily influenced the uh, films for, for years to come after that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that wraps up our What We've Watched segment. Uh, now let's go into our main, our main topic of conversation. So mm -hmm. Nice Guys came out, mm -hmm. Return to the Buddy Cop films. It's the first 
big buddy cop movie I think that people have really thought about in a while. We've had plenty over the over the years, but this is kind of the first one where people have thought, oh, it's this is a buddy cop movie because partially it's Jane Black is behind the wheel again, mm-hmm. and he's all, he's a pro at this at this genre film, and that and the movie is set in the seventies, so. We decided to go back, and we've, we've picked three movies mm-hmm. in the buddy cop genre, and we're going to c- try to compare them one by one and kind of look at them and see what they did differently and what they have done for the buddy cop genre. Um, but before we get to our first movie, which is going to be 48 Hours, Nate, do you have a couple of examples of, of films that are kind of the precursor to what we know as the, the modern or the, the 70s and 80s buddy cop film? Uh yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, you kind of think about it, it's it's really like a, a buddy movie, if you think about it, like the actual buddy cop genre. It's just, you know, you're taking two different genres, like film noir, um, a detective story, and then putting, like, a buddy uh, genre to it. Um, so it's 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 kind of something that, you know, I think ever since the golden era of Hollywood, it's existed. Um, but if you're talking, like, where did... Are, are you talking about, Joe, of, like, where this uh, idea of combining them kind of came from? Well, I'm talking about more, more just, just, just buddy films in general because, because buddy films have, have been around for a while. I know, yeah. I know uh, Akira Kurosawa has, has dabbled in that before. Yes, and actually I can talk about that. So, um, you know, one of the earlier examples of the buddy cop genre comes from Akira Kurosawa, uh, who made this film back in 1949 called Stray Dog. Um, you know, it's kind of pretty similar to what we all know buddy cops of today, um, which is like, you know, two different uh, characters, both of them are opposites of each other and how they view the law or how they view on getting the job done. One's more orthodox and, you know, um, by the book, and the other one is kind of more um, unconventional. But he, you know, he knows a lot more about the world. He's a bit more worldly. He understands how people and how society works. So, and that, in a way, causes tension for them. And, you know, that's how it becomes kind of like a relationship thing. Um, In this one, I kind of did some research on it. It's kind of... It, it is a bit of a buddy cop genre, but it's a bit more about the young rookie detective's story as he's trying to basically be a textbook you know, detective but realizing he can't be because not every criminal is evil. He realizes that I think at one point uh, even he could have become a criminal, and him having that revelation changes his focus of the whole crime um, investigation. So it it was a very interesting film, and you know it's Akira Kazawa. He's he's visually brilliant. He's a, he was a genius of his time, but it's kind of this movie is kind of where it first came um, to life. That you know having two guys um, solving a crime together and seeing the chemistry between those two is kind of where it all started in a way. Yeah, and then and and of course over over the years the 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 buddy comedy has been around for for quite a while the most yeah. blatant example i can think of that are some of the the comedy duos of the of the the 40s and the 50s mm-hmm. and then you go and th- and then you have the odd couple obviously later on but then the buddy cop film i think i think a lot of people what a lot of people think of the very first buddy cop film is when you get to 48 hours which stars nick mm-hmm. nolte and Eddie Murphy. A very young Eddie Murphy at the time. Very young Eddie Murphy. This, yeah, is, this, yeah. is, this is his first film role, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. His, his real big breakout role, from my understanding. Like, he had done, like, his uh, delirious uh, stand-up comedian act, but before then, you know, I don't think anyone had heard of him or seen him on the screen. This was his real big screen debut, I'd have mm-hmm. to say. And 
I think it's interesting that this movie is considered kind of the father of 80s buddy cop films because Eddie Murphy isn't a cop in this movie. He's actually a criminal yeah. that's paired up yeah. with a cop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and another really interesting thing, thing about the buddy cop genre is that a lot of people think of the humor in mm-hmm. buddy cop films. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm gonna get, I feel like I'm gonna get really sick of saying the word buddy cop during this podcast. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Will. But 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 a, a, a hallmark of the genre has been the humor, and so I went into this film expecting a a comedy. But this really isn't a comedy. It's more of a it, it's more of a grounded crime thriller that has more in common with Dirty Harry than than later buddy cop films. I feel like. It almost feels like they were trying yeah. to model the movie and the story kind of off of what, you know, Clint Eastwood brought with Dirty Harry. Because it definitely, you kind of look through it, you know, Eddie Murphy's wearing the same kind of gray suit that, you know, you'd see, you know, a Dirty Harry walk around in. So, I don't know, I kind of found that as an interesting, you know, little bit of a nugget in the movie. And 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 it's, it's just interesting because... There's definitely humor in the film, and with Eddie Murphy in there, you you know there's going to be humor in the movie. But he he's so much more restrained in this film. We haven't gotten yeah. we haven't gotten to Beverly Hills Cop yet, where he's gone full on over the top in what we think of when we think of Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and it's when he's just kind of a very sobered guy who just. Mm-hmm. Is along for the ride, and nothing really phases him. With Nick Nolte throwing all these racial slurs at him. Oh my <laughs> gosh! So many racial slurs. <laughs> I I oh my gosh! This was the movie that convinced me that Nick Nolte is a really great actor, and I feel like I've I've done him an injustice by overlooking him <laughs> over the past years because my my perception of Nick Nolte is the modern perception of Nick Nolte with mm-hmm. the, the grumbling. All right, you. Because I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that same time, that's also something he brought upon himself as well. Well, exactly, well, exactly, and and he does that here. But my gosh, he 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 does a great job of just playing this guy who doesn't give a shit. Oh yeah. And and is just there to do his job, and he will step on anybody to get what he wants. And you feel like when he's yeah. when he's being racist towards Eddie Murphy, he's, it's not because he's actually racist. It's just because that's the way he treats everybody. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But uh, it was interesting. What I kind of really like about this, and and I feel like what this movie did bring to uh, the genre as the buddy cop genre is, yeah, it's not as funny as we think for a lot of buddy cop movies, but what it shows is the tension that the two characters create for themselves. And that's kind of in something what people love about the buddy cop movie is how these two different kinds of characters really rub off of each other and really either bring the worst or the best out of each other. Towards the end, they bring the best out of each other and they help each other change their perspectives of the world. But this movie really has it. Like, I remember the scene where Nick Nolte forces Eddie Murphy to fight him in an alleyway. I'm like, oh, wow, this gets real. Yeah, I mean, and, and that, that's like a staple of the bunny cop genre is mm-hmm. is the transition from the uh, you know the two characters you know, mm-hmm. being completely at odds with each other at first, and then as the movie progresses, pretty much uniting as, you know, as a singular team to really, you know, catch yeah. the bad guys or whatever. Yeah. I think, and I uh, think 48 I, Hours is definitely a great example of, of it. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's also a testament to what the genre can do, or what films in the genre can do if they really wanted to, because... It it really is our idea of the buddy cop film, but if you 
strip out a lot of the humor. And again, there, there and again, there is still a lot of humor in there, and it's very, it is a very funny movie. It's not really the a laugh out loud movie. Yeah. The bar yeah, scene yeah. is probably still like a hallmark in just cinema history. That is a classic scene <laughs> where Eddie Murphy's just going there, and he's just slamming every single redneck in there, and he's like, <laughs> oh "I have the right to do, this, man. So don't you dare tell me what to say." This is probably the funniest mm-hmm. I've seen. Eddie Murphy, at least, at least, at least personally for myself, I, I love the first Beverly Hills Cop, mm-hmm. but I, I think I think when he's he, he's holding himself back, he he tends to be funnier than if he goes full Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because I to be honest, I think his acting's a lot better when he's not trying to showboat it, when he's yeah. not really exaggerating his mouth or his facial expressions, when he's just being a character. It's it is it's funny to watch. Yeah. But like I was saying, the, 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 the interesting thing about cutting out a lot of the humor and putting the focus more on the crime thriller aspect, it shows that you can make a legitimately good movie within this genre without just resorting to jokes and slapstick, as I feel a lot of these films have become. Mm-hmm. And in this way, you can show that you can actually tell a story within this structure, because... 48 Hours wasn't out to, to, to set forward a structure of, of films to go in the future. Oh. It was just setting out to make a fun action thriller with a lot of grit. Yeah. And, and I feel like it does that really, really well, and it shows that you can actually make a good movie that doesn't need to rely on the jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as long as like you have two solid characters, I feel, that are grounded, they're well-developed, they're not like, you know pandering to any kind of a humor or they're not like some kind of like a side joke or anything like that. If they're two well-developed characters, they'll they'll basically carry the whole movie through. And yeah. I feel like that's what makes it work. Yeah, and you really need each character to be fully developed in and of themselves. You need mm-hmm. you need each character in a buddy cop film to be well fleshed out enough mm-hmm. that you could just make a whole movie just about this character and it would work. Yeah. And and, yeah. and 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 I feel like if you took Nick Nolte out of the movie and just made a movie about Eddie Murphy's character in this movie, it would be as just as just as interesting as a movie. And the same thing with Nick Nolte's character. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you take these two characters who are really well fleshed out, put them together, and you get something really kind of phenomenal. I mean, I wouldn't say this is like an amazing movie, but it's but it's certainly a well made movie. And yeah. and it just shows that 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 you can't skimp on characterizations. Mm-hmm. And it's not as simple as just making them opposites. You have to make them Opposites that are that are kind of put together, but they're still interesting characters individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think honestly, like the we were talking about the characters, and I think those are the, the characters themselves are the most important part of the buddy cop movie, rather than, you know more so than than the story itself, because you can have fantastic characters, um, you know, that play off each other really well and just do an incredible incredible work, but you can set them in just like a really basic you know, plot line, and they can, you know, it can still be a great movie. It doesn't have to be something incredibly com- complex. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be full of, you know, twists and turns and whatnot. But it can just be a really basic uh, plot and story. Mm-hmm. But when you have, when you add those characters in, that's what really makes it, can make it great. I mean, it, it kind of th- makes me think of. I, I don't want to bring Family Guy into this, and I, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be pretty short on this. But there's this one episode where uh, Brian the dog and Stewie Griffin are locked in a um, in a bank and it's oh, just yeah. it's yeah. just a half an hour of them in a bank but yeah. it's still a very entertaining episode it's actually a very well written episode but it's because those two characters are so dynamic 
and they're so opposite to each other and they're so well flushed out that heck they can talk about anything in that they can basically throw any kind of scenario in that one holding cell and it'll just be great to watch just because you watch you want to see how the characters react you want to see how how far they'll be pushed to the limit which I feel is what 48 hours kind of did it took that concept and it wanted to push it all the way with the whole you know crime detective thriller I I completely agree yeah that's a good example Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because it's it's been about a week since I've actually watched Forty Eight Hours, and I I honestly can't remember a whole lot about the the specifics about the story itself. But I remember individual scenes, and I remember the characters, and I remember mm-hmm. their arcs. Mm-hmm. But but I couldn't for the life of me tell you what the whole plot was right now. I remember there was a car with a bunch of cash in it, and they needed to find it, and they're trying to try to take people down, and Mike from Breaking Bad was in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right, he was. I forgot about that. Uh, that was a shocker when I saw that movie again. I was like, oh, hey, he, he's from there. <laughs> I feel like he keeps popping up and stuff where I'm just like, hey, there he is. There's Mike. He was working back then. Hey, Mike, how's it going? <laughs> well, let's, let, let's move on then. So, so, so we have 48 Hours, which is known as the father of the, the 80s buddy cop film. And then you move up. You, you have a few more movies since then, and then you have Lethal Weapon, which is the Shane Black movie we're going to be talking about today. It is the best yes. Shane Black movie, in my opinion. I think when people, I think when people think about <laughs> buddy cop films, I think Lethal Weapon is the first one that jumps to their mind mm-hmm. because it's kind of yeah. the the epitome of this genre. Um, it it it. it it fits all the hallmarks of, that, that you need. The opposites attract, you need the action, you need the humor. It balances the, 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 the drama with the humor really well. Um, and I feel like since then, buddy cop films have become something very different. And it, and, and it's, it's, and it itself is certainly a very different movie from 48 Hours. Mm-hmm. But what makes this the quintessential buddy cop film? Um, I think, if anything... It kind of goes back to the whole idea of that, that, you know, they're both opposites. Opposites attract and opposites create tension for each other. You look at uh, Danny Glover's character. He's he's the veteran cop. And he knows kind of like he's basically, he does everything, you know, the proper way. And then you have Mel Gibson, who is a loose cannon throughout the whole thing. You have no idea what he's going to do. He gets the job done, but oh my gosh, the lengths he will go to do something, to actually get the job done, it makes you nervous sometimes. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, my favorite scene from it is actually still the um, when he saves the suicide uh, guy from the building, and his solution is, yeah, we're both going to jump. Because <laughs> we, he built it up like he really wants to jump. All right, well, we're going to jump. I'm going to handcuff him to me, and we're going to jump. But all this time you forget they had set up the, you know, the safety air uh, trampoline. And they don't get hurt, but still, it's like I think just Mel Gibson's character alone is—it's it, clear that he is so unorthodox in how he gets the job done. I mean, he's passionate about getting the job done, but just I think how that plays off of Danny Glover. Danny Glover can't take it. He's with a psycho and a guy who will just like basically—he's almost like a wild dog. It's like I, I got paired up with a a crazy. Maniacal dog who's going to basically uh, put me through the ringer in this one. 
But I think, in a way, that's kind of what brings the humor out of it, but also brings just the internal tension of those two. And for some reason, both of them just being motivated to get the job done, like, neither of them has, like, another objective. I think with 48 Hours, um, Eddie Murphy's objective was, man, I just want to get out of prison, whatever it takes. You know, if I have to take up with uh, Nick Nolte's, you know, racial slurs, whatever, I'll deal with it. Nick Nolte just has the motivation of, I want to get the job done. In Mm -hmm. Lethal Weapon... They're both detectives. They both are working together. They both have un. They don't have the same kind of like working methods, but they both want to get the job done, which is to solve the crime. And yeah, I feel like coming that... at it like from two different angles. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, you know, one's by the books, the other is just an incredible loose cannon. Yeah. But go ahead, continue. Yeah, but I feel like that's what made this one like just what perfected the buddy cop genre is to show that they're both detectives, that they both want to solve the crime. And how they both need each other to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and like we were talking about with Forty Eight Hours, where where that film just works as a film separate from the comedy. This one, it's it's a very very funny movie, but they pull a lot of the humor from the serious elements. For instance, Mel Gibson plays a a de- suicidally depressed maniac, and that mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. a funny thing. But the movie finds humor in that. Mm-hmm. While, 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 while at the same time treating it like a like a real serious problem for his character in the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, De- Danny Glover is he loves his family, he's worried about his family, he doesn't want anything to happen to them, but they still find humor in 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 the way he he treat he treats his family and he he interacts with them, mm-hmm. and then when they're together out in the field, both of their both of their serious sides kind of clash to make a lot of this humor happen, mm-hmm. and. This is this is this is a movie that I would feel just as comfortable putting on the comedy section of my shelf as well as the thriller section of my of my shelf. Oh yeah, because, because it works equally as both. Forty Eight Hours was not not really a bit more, but quite a lot more uh, like gritty and a lot darker than than Lethal Weapon was. Lethal Weapon definitely definitely had uh, a much more comedic side. It like that element was was played off more than. Um, than it was in 48 Hours. And I think the, really the balance between the, the humor and the kind of the grittiness of the films, I think that's uh, something that Lethal Weapon really kind of perfected and really got, got incredibly right. So I believe that's why it's one of, it's one of the, or if not the best, uh, buddy cop you know, movie that we've had in the genre. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you, Alex. All right. Yeah, and, and and again, just just like with Forty Eight Hours, both the characters of Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, they they, they work perfectly separate from each other. Um, yeah. unlike Forty Eight Hours, Forty Eight Hours is 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 a great movie. Yeah. And watching yeah. it, you you don't really know whether or not the characters are going to reach their objective or or if they're going to get through this because the movie is gritty enough that you don't know what's going to happen. Whereas with Lethal Weapon, it gets it gets kind of dark and violent at times, but it's fun enough and it's light enough that you can kind of just put it on during the day and enjoy it. And you know, all right, this is our movie where the characters, characters are going to get through, okay, they might not be unscathed, but everything's going to be okay in the end. And that's okay for what I want to watch right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, that's, that's, kind of an odd, that's kind of an odd thing. Like, I mean, normally, normally you'd want movies where you know, there, there, there is a bit of mystery. You're not sure if they're going to make it out all right. That creates a lot of the tension. But with lethal, with lethal weapon, the way it's kind of like set up is just like 
you know they're going to be fine in the end. Like they're not going to yeah. be, you know, things are going to go wrong, of course, but it's not going to end like terribly. It's not going to end horribly wrong. Um, so I, I, I really like that that aspect about it. It kind of makes it a bit. It makes it way more fun to watch. Like you said, you can just put it on in the middle of the day and not have to like sit, sit there, like trying to endure all the uh, all the suspense and tension it creates. Mm-hmm. Well, it's comfortable. Well, comfortable. I mean, I mean, again, if Nick Nolte or Eddie Murphy got killed off in 48 hours, that wouldn't be terribly unexpected for me. If 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 Mel Gibson or Danny Glover got killed off in Lethal Weapon, I feel like that would come as a surprise. I kind of be like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. I like that character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, one thing I want to actually comment on, and this is something I just realized with 48 Hours. In 48 Hours, um, yeah, in both uh, movies, they kind of start off not really liking each other. They have a hard time getting warmed up to each other. But in 48 Hours, it felt like Nick Nolte at a lot of times um, – kind of almost shoved Eddie Murphy uh, to the side where he's like, you know, kid, I don't care if you get shot. I'm, I'm not going to save your butt. Um, and it kind of had that impression throughout the whole thing. You know, no matter what Nick Nolte does, no matter what Eddie Murphy does, or what happens to them, they're kind of, you know, they're not going to get each other's back. Even like in the bar scene, you know, that's all Eddie Murphy doing that. Nick Nolte's just like, oh, whatever, this kid's doing whatever he wants. Whereas in Lethal Weapon, I think the best uh, example I want to put this is... Um, is actually right after this uh, the attempted suicide uh, scene where Danny Glover brings Mel Gibson into uh, the shop and he's like, why the heck did you do that? And, you know, Mel Gibson's confessing right there because every day I want to kill myself. And Danny Glover pressures him like, oh, you want to kill yourself? Well, pull the trigger right now. And you have like this standoff with each other. But just before like Mel Gibson actually pulls the trigger, Danny Glover's thumb actually goes right underneath the, the hammer and it stops it. And what I just realized with that and what makes that movie work so well is no matter what happens, both of each other got each other's back. It's kind of like they, mm-hmm. their survival depends upon each other. That's, that's a very good point, actually, yeah. because, because 48 yeah. hours, much much fun, quote-unquote fun as, as, as it is, it is a very cynical movie with a very cynical worldview, whereas yeah. Lethal Weapon is, is a lot more open to the idea of these two people hate each other, but they... St- Still, will take a bullet for each other. Mm-hmm. And how much uh, each other's survival depends upon the other person. And I think that's what yeah. makes it the best example of a buddy cop genre is that it, it kind of gets this idea of like they are two in the same one. There's no individualism in it. It's they really do mm-hmm. depend on each other to survive through this. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. And and of course, it's a very it's a very very 80s movie. I love the music and and. <laughs> <laughs> in Lethal Weapon, oh, so so yeah. iconic, and it's, and it's full it's full of that Shane Black banter that 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 you've you've come to expect from the from the Lethal Weapon movies, I guess I guess now that that that, that same kind of humor. In fact, in fact, I would say that Forty Eight Hours set the stage for the buddy cop films, and Lethal Weapon showed you, okay, this is what you can do with with the potential of this genre. The, the, mm. This is this is the kind of tone you can strike. You can have a film like this, which is very jokey, very funny, but at the same time is very intense mm-hmm. and is very well written. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, and most importantly, always have to set it around Christmas. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's not a buddy cop movie unless it's during Christmas. Not okay. Black movies unless it's Christmas. <laughs> can we? Well, not, 
Can we yeah. just comment on, 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 on how much of a tragedy it is that Die Hard is considered a Christmas classic, yet Lethal Weapon has been completely sidelined in that oh. in that department? Oh, not even Lethal Weapon. Iron Man 3, man. Iron Man 3 takes place during Christmas. Well, Iron Man 3 that does also, awesome. but... but 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 I'm just I'm just saying that I'm saying that I'm surprised that Lethal Weapon hasn't become like a Christmas staple like Die Hard has. True. I mean, you have the wonderful introduction to Mel Gibson in the the Christmas tree lot. You know, I, I yeah. want to go buy a Christmas tree after that after seeing him <laughs> take down a bunch of uh, coke fiends. You know. I love I love I love I love to think that 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 every Christmas tree lot you go to is secretly a a drug selling organization ring. <laughs> That's right. They're really burning the bush in yeah. there. <laughs> wow. That's right. I All just right. made a drug okay. joke. Before before we move on to before we move on to rush hour, which is going to be the, the the third and final movie we're going to focus on, I I'd like to point out one thing about Lethal Weapon, just kind of highlight I, 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 how good of a movie and how well written of a movie this, this 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 thing actually is, because I think a lot of people overlook Lethal Weapon mm-hmm. as as a seriously well done movie, mm-hmm. um, and the scene I want to the scene I want to highlight is the introduction of our main characters, which I think is really interesting. I hadn't noticed this before in previous viewings, but you're introduced to both of them in their most vulnerable state, vulnerable state, naked. Mm-hmm. But but the way you you're introduced to them is it, it tells you everything you need to know about the characters with very little dialogue. You're introduced to Danny Glover enjoying a enjoying a bath. And then his family comes in with you know you know birthday cake, kind of a weird scene, but 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 uh, stylistically and and, and from, from a character standpoint, it tells you everything you need to know about this guy. He's comfortable, he's living the life, he's in his most vulnerable state right then, and he's 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 got a family that loves him. Then you go to Mel Gibson, wakes up, hungover, naked in a trailer, peeing into a trash can, and just with that, you know everything you need to know about these characters without a real line of exposition. Mm-hmm. I even kind of like still kind of going off of that um, the one scene I think still is very really hard to watch for me is when Mel Gibson is really really contemplating on you know ending his life with the, the bullet and the gun um, you know right after I think he does the job and he's watching that Bugs Bunny you know Christmas cartoon and he, just that scene just is it's still very vulnerable it's still that very scene goes south so fast and it takes a, it takes a hard left turn and you know where it's going but you don't want it to go there mm-hmm. and then it does and it's just amazing how they, how they how they turn this you know this guy watching cartoons into the most insightful look into how what what's going on in his head ever yeah i mean i think that's kind of like where it's, it's really first introduced how he is grieving for the loss of his wife and it's just that's another layer of his exposition, which you know is not really verbally explained. It's shown, but my gosh, it it really goes there. Yeah, but *Lethal Weapon* is a very funny movie, but it's not afraid to get very real mm-hmm. with the 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 issues these characters are working through. Mm-hmm. And again, I I think it's just a very well crafted movie. I think a lot of people over over overlook it when they think of great action films of all time, I think Lethal Weapon should absolutely be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. So, finally, moving on to our last movie uh, about buddy cop films. So, we're going to talk about Rush Hour now, mm-hmm. which I think Rush Hour is... The, the, the point when we went from buddy cop films being a genre 
to buddy cop films just kind of being a, 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 a spoof of themselves. And I think films since Rush Hour uh, know that, okay, this is, this, is a, this is a staple of action films. We're just going to have fun with it because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. there is nothing serious about Rush Hour at all. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I think the whole uh, just kind of going into the plot of Fresh Hour when Jackie Chan is trying to save this little girl from you know being abducted, and you know trying to bring her back to her father. There is some tension in that. There's that you know that connection with the characters, and we want to see them succeed, and we're worried for her life because you know these guys are you know they're crime bosses, and we have no idea what they may do to her just to get you know what they want. So that that there is a bit of seriousness in there. But you're right overall. It it's it is just kind of a comedy. It's an action comedy. Oh yeah. Well, well, well. Then also, 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 any any movie can strap a bomb to a little girl, and all of a sudden it gets really serious. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, but the, the the interesting thing about Rush Hour is that this was the first film, and maybe it's because um I've been I've been watching these buddy cop films for for the past week, but Rush Hour is the first one where I felt like. They're they're just making it a buddy cop movie just to make it a buddy cop movie, like saying like, okay, we got Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker. One is a Chinese guy that knows kung fu. One is a black cop from you know the streets of where, where, where does this one take place? L.A. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like, what happens when we put them together? One is serious. One is more jokey. One is by the books. One isn't. And it, it felt it it felt like they were taking. Notes out of a out of out of a rule book or or check, checking checking down boxes of all right so this is this is the formula for a buddy cop film let's go ahead and put it together uh, which was very interesting it felt it felt the most Hollywoody of of these three movies and I feel like a lot of buddy cop films from ever since then kind of owe their tone to Rush Hour yeah well I don't know mm-hmm. from what I kind of saw it I kind of was thinking to myself you know. It, it was almost like it was an experiment um, just to see, you know, where could we take the uh, buddy cop genre even further. Now, I'll admit, you know, Jackie Chan's, you know, martial art movies, there is a bit of humor e- even in just, like, the action sequences themselves. There's a, a certain pacing to it that I think is something that I think they really wanted to bring to this. Because I think, yeah, Joe, you're right. They kind of saw, you know, probably what Rush Hour did, sorry, not what Rush Hour, what Lethal Weapon did with it in bringing humor to the genre, and they wanted to kind of further go it. And even before this, there was other movies that were trying to, you know, kind of make it more of a gimmick and actually bring humor to it. But I think it was a combination of, you know, bringing Jackie Chan's style of humor with his martial art technique, you know, with, you know, Chris Tucker kind of, you know, bringing, you know, comic relief to it and seeing how it paired up. And it does feel very Hollywoodish. But yeah, it works I, somehow. I I'm actually I'm actually a very big Jackie Chan fan, and watching Rush Hour was really interesting to me. I I'd actually never seen Rush Hour all the way through until now. I'd, I'd seen scenes from it, but I never seen the entire film from beginning to end. Uh, but being a very big Jackie Chan movie, and I've watched a lot of his Chinese movies. I I, I just I, I think the guy is so endearing. He is hilarious. His fighting style works perfectly with his personality. The guy just loves to have fun, and he said, "All right, yeah, I'll jump out this three-story building. I don't give a shit. I'll break my spine <laughs> and my leg and even like uh, my kidneys." I love I love how if you, if you if you if you've ever watched um, a, a Chinese Jackie Chan movie, uh, the end credits always show 
the 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 stunts where he gets most injured, and they always show if he if he had to go to the hospital at some point during the movie, they put that in the end credits in their quote unquote blooper reel. <laughs> Jeez. The only blooper reel where they show the they show the main actor like breaks an arm. <laughs> well, you know, Joe, it it goes back to the actual formula of comedy that it's it's only funny when someone gets hurt, then it's hilarious. <laughs> But yeah, some, yeah. the person's not really supposed to get hurt. <laughs> well, I know, but that's what makes it then hilarious. Because you but, know um, that. Yeah. Go, going back to Rush Hour, though, watching Rush Hour and being a Jackie Chan fan, he, he is he is severely underused in this movie. I mean, I mean, as far like like Jackie Chan knows his <laughs> shit. Like he really knows his his kung fu, and he knows how to use props really well. And he, and he gets a few scenes where he gets to, to showcase that. But I, I feel like the movie was too focused on trying to give a balance between Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. Yeah. And just for, for the record, I find Chris Tucker to be pretty insufferable in almost anything I've seen. I, I only seen him in like two movies, and that was this and uh, The Fifth Element. And I, I, di- I didn't like him in either one of these. But mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think they, they used him to the best of his abilities in this film. I just being a big Jackie Chan fan and not being a Chris Tucker fan, I was just a little annoyed when they kept having to balance between the two because I wanted more Jackie Chan. Yeah. But that's that's just me. That's that's not something something against the film. That's just me personally. No, and, and to be honest, it feels like it's it, what that movie was trying to do is to try and more Americanize a lot more of you know a Jackie Chan movie than what they had been done before. I mean, they made other movies with Jackie Chan in America, but. I think yeah, this was one that they really wanted to be a, a commercial success. So you know. Yeah, I also find it really interesting that they made Jackie Chan the straight man in this movie because everybody cop movie and we haven't really talked about this yet. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna bring this up now. If everybody cop film has kind of the goofy guy and then it has the straight man, the guy who wants to do things by the books, but he's not afraid to break down a few doors if he needs to. He's the the tough, grim yeah. guy. And mm-hmm. then you got the comic relief guy who's kind of the, the fast t- fast talking jokey guy. Mm-hmm. Who you know will pull the gun in the in the, in the in the middle of a of a, a ring of bad guys and he just telling jokes to them and everything. Yeah. So in 48 hours he had Eddie Murphy was the comic relief, Nick mm-hmm. Nolte was the serious guy, Lethal Weapon, Danny Glover was the serious guy, and Mel Gibson was the jokey guy. Mm-hmm. In Lethal Weapon or in Rush Hour, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Tucker is the jokey guy, but Jackie Chan is the comic relief, which is interesting. Okay, sorry. Jackie Chan is the, the is the, the serious guy, which is interesting because Jackie Chan has been known as playing the comic. Yeah, he, he, he's always the slapstick yeah. guy who gets hit around in, in all of his movies, mm-hmm. and here he's playing the the quiet, serious cop who's who's not afraid to you know get get a little light here and there. Uh, but but this film more than the other two, I feel like really tried to. Uh, drive these two apart character-wise as much as they could to make it more funny when they came together. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of like, I feel like that's the almost kind of like uh, kind of like in a in a lab, if you're to do an experiment with all these different buddy cop uh, chemicals and genres, it feels like this is the the genre or the movie that kind of went a little sour with its experimentation. Um, just because, going back to what we talked about, the buddy cop is supposed to bring out the best in each character, and each character is supposed to play off each other very well. In this, it felt more like a gimmick, and it felt like a gimmick all the way through. Yeah. that uh, I, I talked a little bit earlier on like the balance between the humorous or the comedic side of uh, buddy cop movies and like the more serious, grittier side. And Rush Hour definitely fell more on like 
it, it, it's it's a, it's a comedy rather than kind of having the balance between the two. Mm-hmm. It definitely has more of the uh, comedic aspect of it. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, Chris Chris Tucker's kind of his 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 comedy his humor is is a bit overpowering when it comes to playing off of like Jackie Chan's serious serious and like Jackie Chan's more like a comedic. Can has he can have a comedic personality, um, and more serious kind of straight by the books role. I don't think it worked as well as other characters you know, in, in the previous films we've talked about. It, it's it's definitely more comedic than than anything else. Yeah, well, no, I I I think I think. I think more than, than the other two movies, their sensibilities or, or, or their characters feel a lot more forced. Uh, for mm-hmm. instance, Chris Tucker feels like he has to be the funny guy in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's joking around because this movie needs that. And then mm-hmm. uh, what's uh, Jack, Jackie Chan um, is being serious and he's being the guy who knows Kung Fu and the quiet guy because mm-hmm. he because the movie needs him to be that. Whereas the movie like Lethal Weapon... The Danny Glover and Mel Gibson were just naturally mm-hmm. those characters. They, 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 their personalities were explained by what defined them, by, by, by the, the events around them, what, how they've been molded up until that point, their family mm-hmm. lives. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. in, in, in Rush Hour, it's just kind of like, Chris Tucker is funny because mm-hmm. he needs to be funny. Jackie Chan is serious because we need him to be serious. Otherwise, it wouldn't be as funny when we put these two together. So it's it's it's, it's much lighter. Uh, Forty Eight Hours is a very cynical movie in this genre. Rush Hour is the least cynical movie of all time. And I I, I feel like I'm being really hard on Rush Hour. I, I enjoy Rush Hour. I I'm not the biggest fan, but it's mm-hmm. sort of movie where where I watch it. I'm like ah, it's, it's it's a it's a very light little pop movie that I can I can kind of throw on. It tries it tries to get a little real with, you know, again, you can strap a bomb to a little girl and all of a sudden your movie, your movie will get serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the yeah. movie never felt like anyone was ever in any real danger. I haven't seen the sequels. I presume it gets even more like that as they go on, though. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I can't really say anything good about the sequels. Um, <laughs> just only that I'm kind of glad that, you know, Jackie Chan's gone back to doing some really good, like, you know, really good Chinese, like, epic films. Like, I've seen The the Forbidden Kingdom, and to be honest, I, I loved him in that. Yeah. And, you know, I, f- I feel like that's kind of up his alley. Anyway, anyway, I think I think that wraps it up for, for, for talking about those three movies. Again, 48, 48 Hours, the, the, the genre has really turned more into a comedy as the years gone by, whereas in 48 mm-hmm. Hours, he started off not a comedy at all. I yeah. mean, I mean that it's, it's, a very, it's a very gritty crime thriller with comedic elements, and then, as the years go on, the buddy cop com- buddy cop comedy genre has become the buddy cop comedy genre. Like it started off just the buddy cop films, yeah. and now it's buddy cop comedies. <laughs> and uh, I guess just, I guess just just to wrap up, just throw out a few examples of films since Rush Hour. I think one of the one of the biggest examples of the buddy cop films we've seen since then uh, we had Bad Boys and Hot Fuzz, which yep. were both yes. out and out comedies. I, I love both of those films. I I think for what they've done, I think they're much better done than Rush Hour. But I think they took the Rush Hour sensibility mm-hmm. and did something different with it and made them well written. Because Rush Hour is just kind of like, oh, okay, we put, we, we put together this formula, and it's it's funny. Whereas a movie like Hot Fuzz, I think, 
So it's, all right, we take this formula that's already known as being a funny formula, and we're going to do something different with it. And right. a bad yeah, boy is just, is... It's just exploitational. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hot Fuzz is, like, very self-aware, too. I mean, they're watching bad boys in the movie, so... Yes. <laughs> it's what a what it's doing. I think that's that's a that's that's a great aspect of it. Honestly, but I love Hot Fuzz. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's so great. It yeah. it balances the action, the comedy. There's not really a gritty aspect to it much at all. It's a bit more lighthearted, but I think it works yeah. really well for for the story, mm-hmm. the characters, the way the way the characters play off of it, and just kind of the whole deal. Yeah. I mean, one example, actually, of a, a recent buddy cop film that I think actually does the genre very well, and it's surprising that it's a Disney movie, uh, Zootopia. Um, I kind of went into it not thinking it was going to be a buddy cop film, even though one of the characters is a cop, very clearly, in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of goes back yeah. to the actual good formula of a good buddy cop movie, where you have two distinct characters. Each of them have a good backstory, um, you know. They're not a gimmick. They're not pandering to any kind of a comic relief or anything like that. They're just two characters that work really well off of each other. And, you know, you have Judy Hopps and Nick Wilde who, you know, one's a fox, one's a rabbit, yeah. But other than that, the real chemistry comes from the dialogue they have, what each other's motivations are. And, yeah, them in all of it, they have to solve this crime. And there's a lot of, like, uh, mm-hmm. tip, uh, uh, tips of the hat to, like, other, like, buddy cop movies throughout the whole movie. So... Um, that that was a recent movie I saw, and I was like, you know, this is a good example of a buddy cop film. Awesome. I actually haven't seen Zootopia yet, but I'll probably catch that one when it when it when it hits Blu-ray coming up. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I've I've heard I've heard very very good things about that. Yeah, it was a but, very good film. But and then that all brings us full circle to the Nice Guys, which if you want to mm-hmm. see my review of the Nice Guys, you can mm-hmm. find it on filmliterist.com. Um, again, it's a very very comic movie. You, mm-hmm. you it, it it brings the buddy cop genre from what. Shane Black did with it in Lethal Weapon, and he ties that in with the modern sensibilities of the buddy cop genre as being a comedy today, but still makes it a very, very fun movie. A very fun, well-rounded movie. It's a little bit more jokey than Lethal Weapon. It's more of a parody of the, of the genre, but I, 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 think it still, I think it still works on its own really well. And at the same time, it's also pretty, a little bit more graphic than I think what uh, uh, Lethal Weapon was. <laughs> and kind of just the subject it talks about. So uh, go in with caution. Realize it's going to go places. It's, it's about a couple of scumbag detectives in the in, uh, scumming through the underbelly of the porn industry, as I said in my review. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I love there's a joke in the, towards the second uh, half of the film when they find this missing girl that really kind of <laughs> it, it brings a, a little joke about, you know, just you know, movies in general, and like I said, if when you guys go and see it, you'll be able to catch it. <laughs> anyway, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, tell us in the comments. What are some examples of buddy cop films that 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 you like that we that we've left out? Obviously, we haven't had a chance to, to talk about all of them. There are quite a few out there. And uh, is there anything we missed as, as far as the genre goes? Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on Google Play Music, and you can find us on iTunes if you search Film Illiterates or the Film Illiterates podcast. Um, and for, again, my review of The Nice Guys is on our YouTube channel as well as filmilliterates.com. And we'll be back within the next week or so, I guess, with another another uh, mm-hmm. another podcast. And, yeah, that's, that's all I got. You guys got anything? Uh, no, it was just uh, good uh, chatting with you guys. Awesome. 
And uh, again, find us on filmilliterates.com, Facebook, you can search just filmilliterates, and Twitter at filmilliterates. We'll be posting uh, new videos, reviews, all movie talk up there as it comes out. So uh, keep it easy. Keep it easy. That's not a thing. Keep it. Keep it. I don't. I don't know what. I'm saying.